we don't believe in the divine right of kings anymore. There's absolutely no reason why we should have a monarchy in this day and age. Monarchy is an outdated institution. It has no place in a modern democracy. I'm a mum of three young kids. I tell them that they can be anything they want to be. You know, we live in a fair world. But I know it's a bit of a lie in this country at the moment because in reality, like, you can't become head of state unless you're born into it. I don't think the royal family are going to survive my lifetime. Uh, I've seen a lot of younger people here and they are... Yeah, very anti-monarchy. Well, I'm personally protesting because I think that monarchies are fundamentally undemocratic and our representation of our class system is so deeply embedded within the UK. We live in 2023. We, we, don't have, we shouldn't have any unelected power. For protesting and all of that, but if I was in charge of this coronation, I would arrest all the heads of all, all of those kind of people that would be protesting. I would put them all in jail like pre-coronation and then release them after because it's even if they've not done anything criminal no even if, but if they have any record of doing anything mm. so all those no, not stop stop oil all of that lot just put them in jail hey everyone we're back with another episode of wet wired this is sean Andes, and i'm julian paul butt for this episode, we're commemorating the peaceful transfer of completely ceremonial and ineffectual power. That's right, in the grandest tradition of Britannia, going all the way back to Arthur himself, the UK has found itself a new king. A new royal figurehead has pulled the sword from the stone, donned the power bracelets, and will now sit on the velvet throne. That that last lady at the at the very end clip there was doing a, re- a rehearsed speech that are doing the exact same speech as we heard in Parks and Recreation when that South American dictator played by Fred Armisen <laughs> comes up to, and says, yes, if you overcook the chicken, straight to jail. If you undercook the chicken, believe it or not, straight to jail. Overcook, undercook. <laughs> you know, the, the, the only reason that she rated being included in our in our opening there is because she's actually a member of the royal family. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't why wouldn't she be? But before we go too much further, we have a bit of a correction to make. That well, that is, I have a correction to make. An episode or two back, when we were talking about Charles's coronation before it happened, I mentioned a protester driving by and shouting at crowds. Well, it turned out that the protester, or the video of the protester that I saw, was actually a much older clip, and it wasn't really about the coronation directly. It was about England, but it wasn't about Charles's coronation. And normally I don't really care about this kind of thing, but I also happened to stumble across the identity of the person in the clip. He turned out he was a very funny comedian from Ireland named Steve Timothy, and he was doing a bit in his car about basically just being Irish while in England or whilst in England. <laughs> <laughs> so the only reason I'm mentioning it is that I just want to give this guy proper credit because he is funny. So go check him out on, on Twitter and Instagram. He's, he's around quite a few different places. My gosh, Michael, wow, look, look. We're in the home of the enemy, Kathleen. Michael. Hey, a thousand cheers, Just Kathleen, enjoy your holiday, Michael. Me and Trace, me. Michael, Good Michael, there's no need. There's cuts. no need for any oh, of this. Oh, Michael, oh! Come on, people, I can dance. Come on, Michael. 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 Michael.
<laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> We're in the home of the enemy. <laughs> it's like, just enjoy your holiday. <laughs> All right, let's let's get back onto this episode. Everybody knows that Charles just got coronated. Coronated? I don't know. It sounds like a medical procedure. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was rectally coronated. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, and he is now the the sitting king of England. But I don't want to talk too much about Charles. I want to talk about people's reactions to the coronation and really people's reactions to the royals in England. Period. Something that, that that I've seen quite a few places where all of these Americans that were taking up the cause, criticizing people who were criticizing the monarchy. So if anybody brought up the fact that the the coronation cost billions or cost millions and millions of dollars, or brought up the just the ostentatiousness or the uselessness of the royal family, then immediately there there was pushback. But a lot of that pushback is actually coming from Americans. I, there's, there's just something absolutely perverse about American conservatives loving the British royals. I've suspected for a while, without any statistical evidence or, or surveys done or research done, but I've had this notion in my head that Disney and all of the things with which many people, myself included, grew up, has had a slight influence on the popular consciousness of of Americans where you have every other character is some kind of a royal. Literally, the phrase Disney princess comes to mind. And there's got to be some kind of a cultural impact that these sorts of massive cultural influences are having in the American popular consciousness where the, your, your childhood heroes, I guess fictional heroes, if you will, are literally Royals. And there's this glorification of royalty that you know, it's it probably some kind of a feedback. It, yeah. It's probably some kind of a feedback situation where you have, you know, you have, an already a baseline interest, and which is why Disney puts so much weight into all these Disney and these princesses in the first place. Because if there wasn't already a fascination with it, then they wouldn't have. They wouldn't. It would have gone flat if they, as soon as they released these films. But you know, there was there was something already there. Of course, there's something to be said that so much of this is borrowed from old European tales. Right. Well, that's that was their entire source material. There wasn't really anything original. Yeah, for sure. Well, somehow the fascination that conservatives have for mythologizing our war for independence from England has no trouble also accommodating their attraction to England's kings and queens. Just as an example, shortly after Harry and Meghan split for the U.S., the Heritage Foundation hosted a virtual event called The Crown Under Fire, why the left's campaign to cancel the monarchy and undermine a cornerstone of Western democracy will fail. (laughs) <laughs> so, so somehow they're able to just in a single in a single title combine the monarchy in the United Kingdom with being a cornerstone of Western democracy. And on top of I it, I don't see how can you have. I mean, there's just the, the the fundamental contradiction of those two things that an unelected head of state is somehow a cornerstone of democracy. 
there, <laughs> there is something so fascinating about all of those words jumbled together. You, you have, you have the left in, in a campaign to cancel the monarchy. Like it's, it's a terrible season and we got to get rid of it so that the prime time hour is, is has some space for something else. Meanwhile, they're using the frame, the phrase, as you pointed out, cornerstone of Western democracy, where what is the left actually doing to cancel the, the monarchy, particularly from the United States? <laughs> but uh, the 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 idea that the left in the United States has any impact on what these royals are going to be doing in Europe is preposterous. Or that they would have a coordinated campaign. Well, as odd as apologists for the monarchy are, odder still are the American monarchists. And these are the people who think that the U.S., what the U.S. really needs is its own royal family. It's understandable almost, at least almost, that there would be a lot of Brits who still think fondly of the queen and of the royal family in general. And I, I think especially the older ones. I mean, I, I'm you know thinking about the especially with with Queen Elizabeth II that the that she was there f- through so many different situations that the UK faced you know like economic hardships World War II I mean th- she was a constant through all all of this and her her continued presence probably was some kind of a solace for people I mean this was obviously the, you know the nations being bombed by by Nazi Germany they're that'll bring people together. Yeah. And having somebody standing out there, you know, defiantly like that, this figurehead, that's that's somebody that people can rally around. I understand the purpose of of that that role. I mean, that, I, I really do see the effect of it. But that doesn't make the royal family necessarily a good idea. It. You remember in nine uh, after 9-11, how there was just patriotism coming out of everybody's ears and especially if you you were part of uh, one of the number of political groups that was a fan of rah rah Christian America and and these Muslims are 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 going to stay all the way out. You you remember this zeitgeist at that moment that was throughout the country. You had just before that on Comedy Central, President Bush had a show about him where is some actor i don't remember who was playing him but it was it was a handful of episodes i don't even know if it was a full season before 9/11 happened but it, that show went away i don't know when it went away but i think it was directly as a consequence of 9/11 he was a laughingstock he was a joke he was an idiot and he was made fun regularly by Will Ferrell on SNL for being a moron and he went from being this fucking moron to a valiant leader into in, in with just a couple of planes. That is that's exactly the kind of impact that it can have on a popular psyche, I think. But I mean, it's still we're talking about a president there. We're still talking about a president. At least this is somebody that a good chunk of the country voted for. Yeah. You know, I mean, he didn't he didn't he I mean, well. I mean, he wasn't born into it, but if his daddy hadn't been there, he wouldn't have been there. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and there even all the way back to Prescott Bush, even. <laughs> but at the very least, they, they still had to have the appearance of an election. Yeah. Yeah. They had to feign an election at the very least. 
I've noticed that there is kind of the same argument that's happening with these royals that has been and still is made today in the United States about unelected judges. When judges are appointed and specifically appointed for life, there's this argument that's made that they're above the fray of politics and that that is a benefit that because they don't have to deal with all of the mud and arguments and the popularity contest, which is literally what democracy is, they're able to have an institution that is not subject to some of the, some of the problems that you experience with democracy. It's not a flawless system, but the idea here is that at the very least judges are not pulled into all of that when they're appointed and not going up for re-election. It's, so to speak, not political with judges. That's the argument that's made about them. And the similar argument is made about, about royals, that there's supposed to be some kind of a mainstay in, in society that holds it together and represents the institution in some sort of a, a, a very classy, nice way that, that everybody can look up to and derive inspiration or some bullshit. I mean, but does it actually do that? I don't think it does, but that's, that's the argument. That's the argument. We could even see that the argument falls on its face with, with the judges in the United States, with the Supreme Court right now, where they are fucking political. Yeah, I, I, I definitely understand that point. But I guess when it comes to the royals, it, it is, like I was saying before, it is more understandable when somebody grew up with all of this and it's just the thing that they're used to. Yeah, they're already conditioned to it. Exactly. They've been conditioned to it since, since they were children. So having it around now... Even if you're not passionate about it, you still just go through the motions. It's just what's going on. It's how things are. The thing about the American monarchists, though, is that they didn't grow up with that. They grew up looking at it over there, but they didn't grow up with it. It's a total fucking anachronism. You also notice that they don't they don't pine for monarchy like they have in Thailand. They don't pine for monarchy like they have in Saudi Arabia. They're not like, oh, my God, I, I, if we could just have a sheik. <laughs> You know, then everything would be okay. Now, those some of those people do exist, but they, they're not pining for that. They specifically want to have a bunch of white people ruling over everybody. Yeah, especially if they have a nice, funny accent. That'll, that'll make them even happier. <laughs> well, I mean, one of those things that generally all of these families have in common, though, is that it is still this abnormal love for this family of inbreds who still act like they have a special connection to God. More so than anybody else. That's one of the aspects of the monarchy in, in England is protector of the faith. It is so fucking out of place and out of time. You may as well say, well, let me let me tell you about this cool new thing. It's called bloodletting through leeches. So here's what we <laughs> well, Joe, what, we need part to- <laughs> of that part of the part of the coronation was, you know, the special spoon from the 12th century that you put the oil in to anoint him. <laughs> It's, it's literally the oldest artifact in the collection of the royal family. There's this crazy chair that there's all this graffiti from centuries ago. Shit carved in there like it's a it's a chair in some kind of a backwater pub. It's fucking crazy. Not the one that he was sitting on that was freshly made and, and the rest of it, but another one that they sit on as as part of all of this ceremonial uh, event. They even had that 
throughout the ceremony, he had that thing that looked exactly fucking like, uh, you know, in Monty Python when they're they're fighting against the rabbit, and uh, and right at the right at the point that uh, they're they're out of ideas of what to do, they they say, uh, oh well, well, uh, uh, get get the royal hand grenade. Did you see this, Sean? It was it's the orb. Oh yes, it's the orb. It's called the golden orb. Is what they call yeah. it. It has three parts to to, to represent the the coronate. I'm sorry, the three continents, at least as they were known to the British Empire at the time that it was created. And that's another thing too is that all this tradition ha- also has built in a preservation of the ignorance of past centuries. So it's not like we're we're just building in all of these these fantastic traditions that are the, you know the 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 foundation of our society. We build in all of the ignorance. Yeah, and I, I th- and I think that the you know as I I saw parts of the coronation, the entire thing is this solidified evidence of our past ignorance. All of the superstitions, all of the, all of the all of these old ideas that we've long since gotten rid of in most and in, in most other parts of society are completely preserved in that coronation. Yeah, you know everything is present there. All the stuff that that we that a lot of people through the past few centuries have tried really really hard and committed their lives to eradicating. Yeah, but here it is. Including we preserve, including it. having horse and golden carriage. Right, exactly. Right back to the fucking Disney shit with the with the pumpkin carriage and all of it. <laughs> it is. It was a pumpkin carriage. <laughs> Did you see the clips of they had the lip reader that was uh, that was uh, interpreting what uh, what Charles was saying through the bulletproof glass of the carriage? No. <laughs> and he was like, and the one the one part was like, this is really boring. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he said. Yeah, well, that's what the lip reader says, he said. Well, as hard as it is to understand the American monarchists, we have a piece from an American lover of all things British, especially the royal family, Lee Cohen. From a recent article in The Spectator, we have him here rhapsodizing about Charles's 100 million pound coming out party. I planned my trip from Palm Beach to London almost a year ago. Nothing was going to stop me coming to the UK to celebrate the king's coronation, the monarchy and the special relationship, Britain hating Biden notwithstanding. <laughs> I love this Britain hating thing. People are so pissed that Biden went to Ireland, but he didn't go to the coronation and he just sent his wife. Like he's a fucking member of the IRA or something. They're absolutely obsessed that a potato eating papist would visit <laughs> Ireland instead of going to England. I arrive full of goodwill and looking forward to this historic and truly rare spectacle. Yet I was surprised to find a substantial number of Brits reigning on the Royal Coronation Parade. British friends sometimes roll their eyes at American enthusiasm, our sunny optimism, and perhaps too familiar approach. That's what we're known for, our our sunny optimism. That's why everybody loves Americans around the world, because we're so optimistic. <laughs> like some some fucking doe-eyed hayseed coming in from Nebraska. Is this the big city? Oh my! What accent is that? I, I'm not an accentist, Sean. <laughs> Our sunny optimism and perhaps too familiar approach. But hell, can't we give a cheer for a man who has patiently waited his turn for over 70 years? He, he's been on pins and needles, just on the edge of his seat. 
waiting 70 years to be the highest paid person on the dole. (laughs) He was certainly struggling before that. He had a few bills that were overdue. Indeed, if you are so nonplussed that you don't even see his role in institution as something exceptional, then perhaps you need to reassess and count your national blessings. I, I don't know what he means there. What, what does it mean to count count your national blessings? What does that mean? He doesn't know what he that means. That sentence is it's completely pointless. I mean, I count my national blessings that we don't have a fucking king here. Yeah. Like the Dole comment, it's not even a joke. This is basically a welfare program for inbred royals. Yeah. You know, it's a bunch of people who are, you know, they're all third cousins getting married to each other. And they're, they get public assistance to make it all happen. That's why, that's in part why Harry had to get kicked off of the fucking dole, the, the royal the royal paycheck, because he wanted to marry an American woman. No, Jules, he didn't just marry an American woman. He married a woman who's half black. Oh, that's the important part. <laughs> <laughs> they can't have that. That's going to bring diversity to the bloodline. Yeah, not in the house of Sax Coburg and Gotha. <laughs> <laughs> They're really a bunch of fucking Germans anyways. Yeah. They changed that shit in World War One. <laughs> the House of Windsor has only been a name for less than for around 100 years now. I was not prepared for the less than enthusiastic attitude I've encountered from some people here. Of course, I get the resentment that crowds and annoying tourists like me can cause. What surprises me are the statements of not my king and I can't be bothered. So I'm heading out of town. I was also caught off guard by the number of negative editorials about the coronation and not just from the usual suspects in the Guardian. <laughs> he he <laughs> paints them out to be some sort of a Marxist <laughs> publication. This guy is so precious. It's certainly not for me, a foreigner, to tell citizens of a sovereign nation how to feel or act vis-a-vis their national events and institutions. I doubt right. that America- is his attitude about anything else. <laughs> Conservative ever. Americans would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> it would never deign to have an opinion about how somebody else conducts their government. Yeah, th- this guy is is trained. You know, by I, fucking... I actually read an article from the same guy. He said the same exact thing about Hugo Chavez. Oh, of course, of course. His 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 policy of non intervention in in the cultures of other people is is only paralleled by Starfleet it's Academy. Universal. Uh, it, it's, it's universal. It, it's, it's it's a prime him directive. And, and Janeway and the rest of the lot. Allow me, however, simply to outline some points. From the perspective of someone who regrets that his country does not have a a monarchical, yeah, I said that right, who does not have a monarchical tradition. He just wants so badly to swear fealty to somebody. He wants somebody to get some kind of a sword and he'll kneel down and do a whole thing and say my liege and then kiss a ring. He's just wishing so hard. They have some rituals, I hear. At least a mafia don is like a warlord who kind of like worked his way to the top. (laughs) What did Charles ever do? That's part of the coronation, too, where they recognize him as the the nation's greatest warrior. Are you kidding me with those with those hot dog fingers? (laughs) (laughs) That, That that ring on his finger was about to slice his fucking finger off. It's as big as my wrist. Well, listen, he eats well because now he's the king and previous, what was he a prince before? How does that work? Who's the, I don't give a a shit. Yeah. Okay. He was a son of the queen. He was a prince. Well, uh, nevertheless, it's, it's all that fucking gout and clogged arteries. Exactly. 
or inbreeding. Who's could, could be could be a little bit of All genetics of happening there. Hereditary gout. Let's just call it that. <laughs> First, as an American who admires monarchy for its ability to inspire, I do sympathize with those worried about the coronation being slimmed down. We all have in our minds a magnificent footage of Queen Elizabeth II's coronation and seem to have adopted it as the gold standard, but it's worth remembering that it's always been the case that the incoming monarch has set the flavor and content of their own coronation according to taste and the prevailing times. Gold standard? That that was the other one in in almost uh, in the same fucking century. There was only a Literally, couple the, of them. The only other one that's ever been recorded. Yeah, what? It's what only gold ever standard? one that we have footage of. There's no other. The, the only, there's been two coronations that if that we actually have footage of. It's this one and Queen Elizabeth's. Yeah. So, or this Queen Elizabeth the Second's. There. What is he talking about? Every monarch has set the uh, has set the flavor and content of their own coronation. You know what it is. This guy is in fact a vampire. And he he lives through all these generations. He can't say it out loud, but that's no, you, you should see. You should see this guy. He is definitely not a vampire. He is. <laughs> he is the biggest doofus looking guy. <laughs> yeah, like his Twitter profile talks about his membership in these think tanks. And then it ends with weightlifter. <laughs> I would be the first to argue that it would be difficult to top the 1953 ceremony. That's literally the only other one you've seen. But we have to recognize that it was almost designed to be an antidote to the austerity of the aftermath of World War II. Context is everything. I mean, talk about the tone deafness of that, too. All right, World War II happens, and the whole country's bombed to shit, and then they throw this enormous affair for the coronation of the queen. Eight years after. They had to clean rubble off of streets to be able to do all the horse and carriage bullshit. And for the horse and carriage bullshit for this one, they had to fill in the potholes with sand because the streets were fucked up in London. Or because, we, yeah, we're not that that's that's a whole that's another issue entirely is the economic hardship right now that's going on. There there are people that have that that don't have good access to food in London and they spend a hundred million dollars on this party to have a parade and to do this sort of like, you know, this Harry Potter shit. <laughs> <laughs> the monarchy has endured like the British constitution precisely because it is flexible and adaptable. When William and Mary brought into the settlement arising from the bloodless glory. Oh boy, here it is. When William and Mary brought into the settlement arising from the bloodless glorious revolution of 1688 and assented to the limitation of their powers and the resulting constitution that Britain made truly exceptional. Did they assent? Or were they forced? They were absolutely forced because they were going to, the, the nobles were about to have their fucking heads. The idea that these visionary enlightened people in, in William and Mary somehow just gave up absolute power out of their own volition because they thought it was the right thing to do. They were stopping an impending uprising that was the aristocrats pissed off about a hundred fucking things. You you just have to be so willfully ignorant that they can't help but to read into this this exceptional virtue when in reality it was probably just a practical decision. It was it was the it was the, the document the the treaty of okay 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 fine just don't fucking kill me. They got a chance to remain with in the position with a relative degree of authority. Yeah, you know they had they had a lot of power remaining. It just wasn't absolute. 
So they couldn't rule by decree anymore. That's what they gave up. Yeah. And it was either either give up that that absolute ability that absolute power or end up with nothing, end up fighting for and maybe lose it all. Well, the compromise in the Easter uprising of 1916 in Ireland is has a similar flavor or 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 conflict if you will where in in 1916 the IRA was uh, were at the time the rebels if you will were were making some pretty good fucking headway against the crown there are the counties in the north the six counties in the north that now are present day northern ireland that were centuries before I forget which king, but one of the kings, uh, after a rebellion almost kicked out the uh, in that time too, a rebellion almost entirely kicked out uh, the the British rule of of the island. He said, "All right, I'm going to fix this, and I'm going to put a whole bunch of people from England and Scotland here in the north who are loyal to the crown, and make sure that this shit doesn't happen again." And that is in part how we got the demographics change in Northern Ireland as it is today. That's why we have that sort of Protestants in the North, Catholics in the South division. Historically, that's where it came from. But in the 1916 uprising, the compromise put the Irish against themselves, whereas previously all the different factions were essentially united against the crown, whether they were socialist or a nationalist of some other kind, but generally speaking is a socialist cause that uh, the South could have somewhat a a certain degree of autonomy, but they still had to swear allegiance to the, to the crown and the six counties in the North were going to temporarily at least, and it became permanent uh, be still remain part of the UK. But what happened is that that allegiance was maintained and so they were able to have this sort of compromise when they when they basically were about to fucking lose everything. They made it so that they ended up still having control on the fucking island, even though it was lesser control. And they did the th- this is this is exactly the fucking English move is when you're about to lose everything, give up some of it, but still hang out. When William and Mary brought into the settlement arising from the bloodless, glorious revolution of 1618 and assented to the limitation of their powers and the resulting constitution. That made Britain truly exceptional. What they did had the effect of limiting monarchical power, broadening participation, and ultimately led to government requiring consent of the people. Their acquiescence shaped the thinking on which American democracy was founded. Yeah, that's that's one way of looking at it. If we were shaping our thinking on as Americans on the British example, then we would have had a monarch too. Some people did want George Washington to become king after the revolution by some people it was like very few people yeah they but nevertheless it was a thing where he he expressed his disdain for the idea i think that's interesting too is that the people weren't really rebelling in the revolutionary war against a monarchy it was like specific shit it wasn't so much that the that that there was a king that they had an issue with the one of the biggest issues in the very beginning like all that stamp act stuff and like and no taxation without representation was that the colonies didn't have a seat in the parliament yeah so all of this all these decisions were being made across the ocean that affected the colonies but the nobody from the colonies had any participation in in voting on those decisions because even at that point in in King George III you had somebody who had a significant limits on his power you know like he wasn't entirely ceremonial like Charles is 
he still had significant limits. There was a parliament that he had to deal with. That wasn't just something he could ignore. Yeah. Let's see. Where was I? What they did had the effect of limiting monarchical power, broadening participation, and ultimately led to government requiring consent of the people. Their acquiescence shaped the thinking on which American democracy was founded. But with the whole with the wholesale adoption of the principles and texts complaint contained in the English Bill of Rights of 1689. The ideas, documents, and legislation that emerged from the reign of William and Mary and the Glorious Revolution shaped the fundamental laws of the North American colonies as much, if not more than, anything conceived by America's founders. What is he going on about? Oh, he's just rambling at this point. He remember he started off by talking about how oh, there were there was there was some bad attitudes about the coronation in, in London. That's where that's where we came in here. He's just rambling. We Americans chose to fight to establish a republic, but we remain powerfully inspired and influenced by the status and presence of the British monarch. We are far from alone. As noted by Alec Douglas Home, the Queen's appearances abroad do more in a day to gain goodwill for Britain than all the politicians and diplomats lumped together could achieve in years. Yeah, that goodwill probably works out fantastically historically with, I don't know, people in India. Or, right, exactly. Or or uh, throughout uh, colonies in uh, uh, the Southeast Pacific. It's not overly generalist. It's not overly generous to Charles to suggest that he already is and will continue to be a compelling ambassador for his nation and its overseas interactions. Though he's new to the throne, this is a continuation of a role he's been doing, supporting his beloved mother for all his life. Unlike the dangerously divided republic in which I live, the monarchy has blessed Britain with stability, national pride, and cohesion. <laughs> the UK is an example for us all. <laughs> they had three prime ministers in 2022 alone. Johnson, what's her nuts? Uh, who's the person now? Um, Liz Truss is the one you're talking about. Truss, yeah, yeah. That was there. Yeah, Liz Truss was there for 49 days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine what things would be like in the U.S. if we had a president that w that entered and left office le like less than two months later. <laughs> they they barely they barely had enough time to to get her on the payroll and and uh, connected with the QuickBooks system. Before she was already fucking kicked out. Sovereigns are not simply responsible for representing and uplifting their people, but also for preserving the institution they head. Queen Elizabeth handled this flawlessly. Charles must be given his chance. Every monarch has somehow shaped his or her reign personally. Again, how do you, how are you knowing these things? I mean, I'm like, what is he talking about? I mean, what was Queen Victoria's reign like? Did, did, did she shape it personally? Do you I, like, what are your ideas about this? I don't think he has any clue. Like he, he can think of this situation and his and, and his, what he knows of Queen Elizabeth II. Mostly just shit he's watched on TV. It is mostly shit that he's seen on the History Channel. Oh, now it's coming together. We must trust. We must trust that Charles, who learned from the best, has the qualities necessary to do what what is to the enduring benefit of both country and monarchy. We might not like some of his decisions personally, but through the hereditary system, by definition, he is the man for the job and bears not just the authority, but the great responsibility of serving. And there is the flaw in the whole thing. We might not like his decisions personally, but we have to accept them because God made him the king. Woo! 
<laughs> and what a king he is. There will always be shades of enthusiasm from the avid to the skeptic about any individual, especially one who has been in the public eye for so long. But if anyone does not personally care for Charles, I would remind them of the two words that should persuade anyone not to ditch the monarchy. President Blair. I mean, come on. This guy is picking at a bone from the Bush, the George W. Bush era. This is from 2005, you know, 2008. He, this is almost a 20-year-old grudge he's talking about. He's got to be too young. I've seen a picture of him. He looks like he's probably maybe maybe 40 years old. I mean, how much of a grudge could he possibly have against Tony Blair? This is a guy he probably learned about in college and then just thought like, oh, that motherfucker. He even went with the Americans to the Iraq uh, debacle. But this this whole thing about calling uh, calling Tony Blair, who was the prime minister, President Blair, that was a dig from like the Daily Mail back then. <laughs> you know, like that he he was uh, he was overstepping his authority and taking on too big of a role. He wasn't the president. He's only the prime minister because the prime minister is is technically a smaller job than a president typically has. Like a little bit more than a House speaker. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you are the head of the government, not of the country. As an out as an outsider who admires Britain and her constitutional principle. I mean, that's a great reminder right now. This is a fucking American saying all this stuff. Yeah. And the the whole the whole conservative conservative shtick in terms of their mythos is all about 1776. I mean, the teabaggers, that was their whole that was where they got their name is the tea party with the not so clever play on words. That contradiction between the, the this this mythologizing of the American Revolution, along with this this like this love affair with the British royal family. It's fucking they're they're tricorner hats and literal tea bags hanging off of them. As an outsider who admires Britain and her constitutional principles and associated institutions, I ask, why not just draw together and be there for Charles? Cheer him on. Support him. Give him the opportunity to earn your trust. He does now embody Britain because the king and the country are one. I mean, can you imagine that mentality if we saw that, if we if we, if we had to live in a place where the king and the country are one? You know, it's like in, Ex, in, the, in Excalibur, in the movie Excalibur, like if the... Uh, if the if the, the the king prospers, the then the land thrives, and if the land if the king suffers, then the land you know the land does too. Could you imagine if if, if we if the country was matched up with like with Joe Biden's health conditions? <laughs> you you remember that that viral YouTube video in like the aughts where there was that person who's crying about Britney and how everyone in the news is being being mean to Britney Spears. Leave Britney alone, of course. Leave yeah. Britney alone. This guy, this is a whole fucking leave Britney alone letter about King Charles. Leave Charles alone. Leave Charles alone. I think alone. you need to do that video. <laughs> he has demonstrated his care and concern. His contract with the British people and his pledge before God to serve should be affirmed and celebrated. All right. That's, that, is, uh, that, is, that is from... Newfound friend of the pod, Lee Cohen, <laughs> senior fellow, senior fellow of the Bow Group and the Bruges Group, was advisor on Great Britain to the U.S. House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee and founded the Congressional United Kingdom Caucus. Boy, I'm sure those what? parties were great. 
And of course, this is a, this is all from the spectator. All right, we have one more for today. Maybe, just maybe, listeners, you think Charles III's tea is a little bit too weak, and he isn't quite a strong enough sovereign for your monarchist tastes. You might think that it takes a much firmer hand to defend Christendom. And, you know, for what it's worth, everyone, and I absolutely mean everyone, who thinks that the U.S. should have a king is also a, is also a Christian. And I'm not exaggerating. Literally all of them. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, th there is a tiny minority of extremist Muslims who've called for an American sheik, but that is like, that is a very, very, very tiny minority. We are all talking about a king and we really should do an episode on, on the Moorish sovereign citizens because that, that whole little group is fascinating. In, in Spain? No, in like Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing everybody look it up <laughs> so if you're looking for a king made from stronger stuff august mayrad has some advice about what traits will matter most and i have no idea how to say his this guy's last name it's spelled m-e-y-r-a-t so he's mayrad as far as i'm concerned oh perfect it's common to see conservative writers compare today's political and cultural situation to that of the late Roman Republic. All right. So the, alrighty, for your first sentence, the conservative writers that are comparing the U.S. to the late Roman Republic, these are all the guys that have heads of classical Greek and Roman statues as their profile pics on social media. Oh, yes. These fucking creeps who another uh, another category of peaches is the the ones who have those same heads as their profiles and they're literally neo-nazis sometimes the same guys sometimes the same guys <laughs> so uh i guess we already know where we're going sorry everybody every time just <laughs> we're going we're, we're going there anyway <laughs> every time jordan peterson mentions western civilization we know what he really means deep down in his in his little white supremacist heart. Well, I mean, he obviously loves Greeks. <laughs> <laughs> Not those Westerners. <laughs> we like the white Westerners that that took the dark Westerners ideas. Yeah, uh, it actually took them and put them in a fucking museum where they could be preserved. Protected. That's the word. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it was a time of transition between a small, vigorous republic to a large, decadent empire. Rome was effectively an oligarchy and wealthy patricians ruling over the mass of plebeians and slaves. For most Romans, taxes were oppressive, social mobility was non-existent, and distractions from pointless wars and violent entertainment abounded. Populist movements were periodically put down as Rome steadily inched toward autocracy. We're the people's Judean front. No, we're the Judean people's front. With so many constitutional norms being violated today by unaccounted, unaccountable oligarchs to suppress populist movements, it's easy to see the parallels. America's middle and working class, America's middle and working classes muddle onward, seeing their quality of life decline and opportunities for a better life dissolve. They too are distracted by violent entertainment and pointless wars. So the problem is too much MMA. That's that's the issue here. MMA and and NFL. And just as there were leaders such as Tiberius Gracchus and Julius Caesar championing, championing the cause of the people and suffering the enmity of the elites, 
Today, Donald Trump does the same and suffers similar scorn. <laughs> I love it. I mean, we, got, we got the Trump-Jesus connection right there. Two paragraphs in. Honestly, this is already exhausting. This is more of a fucking Nero connection to Trump than it is Tiberius. It, it, it's so tired and accurate to think that we can understand dynamics of this modern nation we live in by looking back at what happened to Rome. It, 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 people keep going back to this same well, and there's but there's nothing there. there. It's so hard to see the connections. It's it's just that 18th century landowning and slave owning men had a fucking hard on for the classics. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But what that's actually one of the biggest differences that we have is that this modern conception of race wasn't existent or wasn't extant at all in the Roman Empire. Yeah. They did not see race this way. You know, this this modern idea of race dates back to what, the 1600s? At, at latest. We're talking 1500 years before that at the timeline that this guy's talking about in his article. You know, like it did not exist. They did not see these this classification of races that was a product of Western Europe in the 16 and 1700s. How much do you hate the Romans? I hate the Romans a lot. Mm, all right, you're in. I mean, broad, broadly, the, the people are the same. Obviously, we're all human beings and yeah. we're motivated by the same things. But the structure of the governments and all of the, and the entire social organization is absolutely completely dissimilar. Yeah. This analogy poses a question. How can we avoid Rome's demise? Do Americans just need to steal themselves for the inevitable crash of the markets, complete dissolution of faith and morals, and rise of a totalitarian autocracy? There is another difference. The idea of a market in Rome was a totally different thing than we have now. Or should they fight, perhaps in vain, to restore the country's founding ideals, pray for another great awakening, and somehow find politicians who can both win elections and govern effectively? And... and I, again, I, I don't. I when I read articles like this, I don't. Ha I have no idea whether the author is talking about the Great Awakening as a Christian revival, or if they're talking about QAnon shit. It's probably a little bit of both, really. In light of the fatalism that seems to follow comparisons to Rome, I'd like to propose a different historical analogy that is both. <laughs> I'd like to propose a different historical analogy that is both more apt and more hopeful. After reading historian Raymond Ibrahim's new book, Defenders of the West, the Christian heroes who stood against... Oh, that's... Wow, what a great title. Defenders of the West, the Christian heroes who stood against Islam. <laughs> God. Wow. I believe today's situation more closely mirrors that of 15th century Romania. <laughs> it's so oddly specific. It is really specific. 15th century Romania. Not 14th, not 16th. Definitely not 20th. Uh, where was where was the character from What We Do in the Shadows from that, that no longer exists in his present-day Iran? Oh, God, I forgot. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> During this time, Romania and the rest of the Balkan countries were made up of small kingdoms ruled by warlords or voivodes. Obviously, a direct parallel to what we have going on now. The colossal empire of the Ottoman Turks periodically invaded this region, desecrating churches, enslaving thousands, massacring and torturing innocents, and ravaging the countrysides. 
doesn't that just make you think of all the Canadian raiding parties traveling south of the border to <laughs> go torture shoppers on Pike Street? <laughs> I mean, obviously. <laughs> In order to temporarily protect their kingdoms, the Voivodas and Boyars, nobles, just imagine how many words he had to learn to write this article. I mean, he had to have gone through a dozen Wikipedia articles for this article alone. At least agreed to pay tribute to the Turkish sultan. This cost them not only a, not only gargantuan sums of money, but hundreds of captives became part of the sultan's harem, were used as slave labor, or were recruited as janissaries, Christian boys, brainwashed, and trained to fight as elite soldiers for the Turks. Again, the parallels are striking. I mean, don't we see this all the time? How many, how many forced conscriptions have we seen of captured POW Marines into the Iranian army? Well, this is, this is, this is just the sort of thing that Ron DeSantis has been <laughs> helping to save us from with the, uh, with the brainwashing of young people. He is protecting us from the hordes of drag queens who are just going to come in and, uh, and make it so that the, all of these children are going to go off and fight. Uh, as the Turkish soldiers. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, where they're going to be conscripted into their raiding parties as part of their the 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 woke empire that is uh, <laughs> brewing up in, in near Lake Okeechobee in Florida. <laughs> One Romanian voivode, Vlad Dracula II, here we go, we're cooking now, was forced to give up his two sons, Vlad III and Radu as hostages to Sultan Muhammad II for several years. While Radu, who was sexually assaulted and groomed by the Sultan, groomed, there's that there's word. word. We need to have a fucking buzzer Turks. for that word, too. Like we have a buzzer for they, the other shit. Look at, look at that. He was sexually assaulted and groomed by the Sultan and then stayed loyal to him. There it is. That's the biggest fear. This is the biggest fear of these, these, these just weak-willed motherfuckers that they... All they can, they're just so worried. You know, it's all this pearl clutching. They're just so, they're so afraid of the, these, these blue haired glasses wearing woke kids that they, they just, they're, in, they're terrified of them that they're going to turn into that. They, you know, they're like, if I, if I, if I, if I can, if I see them too much and on TikTok clips, or if I, if I see too, too many YouTube, like YouTube videos with these woke kids, I'm going to get woke too, or my kids are going to turn woke. It's, it's, it's really a, a quantity sort of a thing. If you watch too much wet ass pussy, all of a sudden, uh, you're just going to turn into this vile demon immediately overnight. It, it's your eyes. will. all right. I don't know where I'm going with this. No, that the, the analogy is dead, but while Radu, <laughs> who was groomed and sexually assaulted, remained loyal to the Turks, Vlad III vowed vengeance. You see, his you have this purity thing here too, which I think is interesting, that he, he retained, he was not sexually assaulted, so he retained his purity, and and that that is the source of the strength for the revenge. I'm, I'm, I'm digging into this guy's head a little bit, and I'm probably stepping out of bounds, but it makes sense to me. When the latter returned home and inherited the kingdom, he immediately stopped paying tribute and ruled his kingdom in the same style as the Turks, that is, through terror and fear, because, he per because his preferred method of punishment for his enemies was impalement. He soon became known as Vlad the Impaler. 
Though Vlad obviously upset the Sultan, who eventually sent a massive army against him, he angered the other Voivodes and Boyars even more. Instead of joining Vlad's effort, they betrayed Vlad at every turn, breaking treaties, lying about military commitments, generating propaganda about him drinking blood and being a vampire, which is where the myth of the which is where the myth of Dracula came from. Yeah, I was just going to bring I was going to bring that up. That's absolutely not where the myth of Dracula came from, but you know, whatever. Um Yeah, Vlad would come to your it, house and ask if he could come in. It's it's really hard to take this guy seriously after all of this ridiculous shit, but especially here because he's so wrong. I don't think anyone that was a contemporary of Vlad Tepish was spreading rumors about him being a vampire or drinking blood necessarily. The, the whole vampire Dracula thing came up just from Bram Stoker. Yeah. Uh, like Bram Stoker liked the stories that he read about this Romanian dude who had a cool name and was absolutely ruthless. And so he just started writing fanfic about him and even imprisoning him for 13 years. He was only released to lead a war against his brother Radu and some invading Turkish armies. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here. If one can see past the violence, <laughs> is there anything other than violence? That's the whole thing. <laughs> the, 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 violence is the point of all of this. <laughs> there are important similarities between Vlad Dracula's situation and America today. <laughs> wow. I mean, how many pikes do you see out in the field with heads? Much like the Ottoman. Oh, here it is. Here's the analogies. It's all coming home. Much like the Ottoman Turks dominated their day's politics and culture, leftist globalist elites dominate the politics and culture today. What is he talking about? (laughs) The woke empire. The woke empire. Yeah, because the Ottoman Empire, which, by the way, was like seven centuries in duration... Uh, well, and they is, and they were and at this point too they were really young. This is actually them at their prime because they just came in hot. Yeah, and they and they swept through North Africa and everything. So anyway, the Ottoman woke empire of the left and the global elites, <laughs> who are usually a dog whistle for the Jews. So nope, fit that one. Turns together. out it's the Turks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much like how the Voivodes and Boyars caved to the demands of the Sultan, almost every large institution today complies with the agenda of these elites. All right. So what we're seeing here is that the, wait a minute, how is it? So Trump is Dracula and the 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 and his, his fellow nobles that are all his equals are like Disney- and Netflix and Paramount Pictures. <laughs> okay. Nike. You know, that's another one that caves to the, to the woke. And much like the Romanian nobility demonized, oh, and much like the Romanian nobility demonized the populace Dracula, oh, Dracula was a populace now at the Whew. behest of the Sultan. Okay. Today's institutions demonized the populace Trump at the behest of the leftist elites. Got it. Okay. (laughs) So Trump's a vampire now? Is that... This analogy sheds light on what makes Trump so unpopular. Okay, let's hear it. (laughs) Let's see it. He is a threat. He is a threat to the current system of leftist intimidation and elite privilege. 
he he is the elite. He's literally a but billionaire. He, this kind of line, I mean, this article just came out a few weeks ago or a week ago or something like that. This line might have worked in 2016 before Trump was ever president, but we know what we got. We had him for four years. Yeah. And what elites lost their privilege when he had the most powerful job in the country? Yeah, uh, I, I don't know did where this anybody, fucking swamp that he drained is, but I sure haven't seen it. Did Bill Gates lose all of his money? Did Larry Ellison go broke? I mean, what elites is he talking about that lost all their privilege? I mean, hell, even the, like the small time ones that are just Hollywood actors. Did Robert De Niro, was his career trashed because he criticized Trump all the time? Or Alec Baldwin? What elites are we talking about that lost all of their privilege when he was the president? So so we, you end up with this paradox. It's like it's just like the paradox about God. Either God likes suffering or God is powerless to stop it. Yeah. So you either end up with a real dickhead or somebody who's impotent. You're you're stuck there. You're stuck at this paradox with the, with this either you have a, a God with limited power or a God who is just a real asshole and likes to watch people suffer. Either way, you don't have an you don't have a, a deity that's worthy of of worship. Yeah. So it's the same deal with Trump right here. Either Trump is this you know this paragon, this powerful figure that is standing strong against all of these forces and defeating them, or he likes that shit. You know, so he's either this pow- he's either powerless to stop it or he enjoys it. Uh, th- this this sort of melted thinking is the same sort of ideas that you get from the xenophobic resistance to immigrants in general. Not only are immigrants taking your jobs because they work so hard, but they're also lazy and shiftless. Y- you got to pick one. You know, they're either coming to steal your jobs or they're they're worthless, like just they're, they're just draining they're, off they're of the economy. They're mooches who don't do anything to the economy to contribute yeah. or they're stealing your jobs which one do you which one is it as christian parenti recently argued in compact trump is hated because he opposes foreign intervention globalist trade agreements outsourcing manufacturing mass immigration and leftist hypocrisy like other conservatives he was supposed to comply with the elite's class agenda while making superficial gestures to placate his working class base he's got a pretty good read on what most uh, most politicians are expected to do. <laughs> Instead, he immediately ripped up trade agreements, closed down military bases, secured the border, and told the foreign policy establishment to take a hike. The policy equivalent of creating Vlad's Forest of the Impaled. <laughs> the, the, it's the, the same the thing. I can't equi- even tell the difference. I, I, I impaled all of these treaties. God, I... It's burnt... Uh, you remember when Bernie was running and and he kept saying that that phrase, political revolution. We're gonna have a political revolution. It's like then it's not a fucking revolution, my guy. Here's <laughs> this this guy is just wanting to get a, a fucking hard on for talking about Vlad the Impaler, and it's like he's putting the word political in front of it. It's it, political <laughs> impalement. <laughs> For this, leftists want to imprison Trump just like the nobles imprisoned Vlad. 
even if it means that normal Americans will be stuck with an unjust, corrupt, and utterly stupid government, many of them will support it because they fear reprisals from the leftist elites and their proxies more than resentment from conservatives. In the short term, it doesn't seem like a big problem since the status quo has been maintained. But in the long term, this practically guarantees a future of poverty, mediocrity, and political strife, as it did with the Middle Eastern and North African nations that remained under Ottoman rule. Are you kidding? You're going to try you telling me that all of everybody was suffering like that under the Ottomans? No. Some That's of them were doing work. well because you can't run you, an, you can't run an empire for 400 years by oppressing everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it was way more than 400. I mean, depending on where you want to count. There's an essential there's there therefore it's essential to learn from history and fight fire with fire. I, I, I haven't heard much history yet, but instead of lamenting the faulty indictments of legal double standards, conservative politicians need to start indicting and investigating prominent Democrats. That's right. Stick it to the Ottomans. <laughs> <laughs> like Vlad, they will find that these, left, these leftists are not as powerful as they seem. Right. Because so who, who won after all those conflicts with between Romania and the Ottoman Empire? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Which one lasted longer? Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, the one that lasted until the 20s. All right. <laughs> I, I'm going to jump to the end here. More importantly, history teaches us why conservatives should fight this battle in the first place. For the people. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, Vlad the populist. While leftist elites and their stooges will always vilify conservatives for showing a spine... Americans who have families do real work and actually love their country will celebrate them and keep their memories alive. They need a champion who will not sell them out, fight the good fight, and do the dirty work of figuratively impaling some bad guys. There we go. <laughs> figuratively. P politically figu impaling figuratively, again. <laughs> figuratively is in parentheses here. <laughs> you know, the, this, this conservative... Th I don't even know if conservative is the appropriate word for this one, but like this general right wing fascination, of course, there's the term reactionary that we've used quite a bit because it's reacting. That's the whole, the whole fucking point is to go backwards in time to some perceived previous ideal that has been lost or some previous notion. The whole idea of left and right comes from the left and right physical wings in, in, France uh, after after the French Revolution when they overthrew the fucking monarchy the right wing was essentially the aristocracy the the upper classes the upper crust of society and the left was the fucking rabble conservatives have never left that worship to the fucking landed gentry in in all this time since the since the 18th century it it has just been this consistent uh uh idealization of this golden age that existed once before that has been lost because all the rabble has come in the immigrants and people who don't look like you and and they have a, a funny accent this is all directly uh connected to the monarchists 
these sorts of ideas go perfectly hand in hand together. They, they like the strong man. I don't think he's that much of a strong man, but that's the perception in Trump for the exact same fucking reasons as they like the idea of a monarch. No, they like him to be king. They wish he had more power. Yeah. That's one of the biggest, that's been one of the biggest, uh, uh, like one of the biggest angles for the apologists for Trump is that they, that he would have done this, but for all of the resistance he was getting from the deep state. You know, he would have done everything he promised to do if it wasn't for the globalists. You know, so the, the only, the, the, uh, like the big reservation that are the, the big wish that a lot of these people have, these Trump supporters, is that Trump had more authority to do things just unilaterally. They, they wish he could have ruled by decree. He, he fucking brought up in the opening Julius Caesar, who notably got rid of the corrupt Senate, drained the swamp, and established himself as dictator after he crossed the fucking Rubicon. All right, Jules, do you have anything else? Uh, I do have one thing. I, I forgot to mention it earlier, and I think it's a great way to close, which is that the UK is not all fans of of uh, this new coronation and, and the kingdom. And uh, one person in particular, we don't know who, mowed a giant penis into the lawn at the site of the coronation party where they're supposed to have the after party. It is a giant dick right where they were supposed to be having cocktails and whatever else they do at the uh, coronation concert. I forgot who was listen to Katy Perry and Lionel Richie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Two of the judges from American Idol performed at the coronation after party. Tom Cruise, uh, Joan Collins. Yeah. The, this, this picture of the huge dick is it's, it's reminds me of the, the CERN Abbas. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. The giant in the UK that's made out of rubble, uh, out of stones. That 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 uh, huge monument with the with the with the massive schlong hanging down. Long history in the UK for giant hillside phalluses. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was a dick move, but uh, some some people appreciated it. I don't know. I don't know if they got rid of it by the time of the coronation. I assume so, but somebody did it in 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 the dark of night a couple of days before the coronation. That's all I've got to say. Well, okay, I think that's it for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of WetWired. As always, we appreciate your support. And if you'd like to help us keep the show ad-free and independent and get some premium episodes, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash wetwired. Jules, where can people find us? We're on, we're on Twitter and other places at wetwiredpod. You can hop on our Discord. It's been a little bit quiet lately, but I will be posting... A- quite a few more interesting articles in the near future. All right. Until next time, everyone. See you later.